This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As we continue our series exploring some of the people and groups looking out for the integrity and prosperity of seed in our world, we move to Southern California, where Dr. Naomi Frega serves as the Director of Conservation Programs at the California Botanic Garden. Established in 1927 by our founder, Susanna Bixby Bryant, and she really had a great vision to establish an institution that would display California native plants for education purposes, but also to provide a research resource. And she really saw conservation as being first and foremost a very central mission of the garden. Their conservation programs include field studies, laboratory studies, a restoration nursery, and seed banking and conservation. Dr. Frega joined me in conversation from her home and garden in Southern California earlier this year. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to talk with you today. As the Director of Conservation Programs at California Botanic Garden, which was previously known as Rancho Santa Ana, what do you do, Naomi? What does that consist of? Well, at California Botanic Garden, I direct the conservation programs, which encompasses a wide array of activities, ranging from field research that's primarily focused on rare plants to genetic research uh, to understand population genetics um, or how plants might be related to one another. Uh, we also do a lot of restoration activities, propagating plants for um, different types of restoration projects. And we're also involved in invasive plant management and removal. Um, but one of the centers of our program is our seed conservation program, which includes the California Seed Bank, which is the largest seed bank dedicated to California native plants in the whole world. And so it's a really tremendous resource for conservation because we're banking seeds um, primarily of California plants, uh, native plants, and um, with the goal to really uh, seed bank the whole flora eventually. So this is just a tremendous resource for conservation and research because every individual seed represents a unique genotype, a unique genetic individual. And so we really have billions of individuals of California native plants stored in freezers um, in this you know, relatively small room to really advance conservation and understanding of native plants. Let's go back just a tiny bit. Tell us a little bit about you, Naomi. Where were you born and raised and who were the earliest and most influential people and places and plants that led you to being a person who would enter your field of work in this place in this time? Well, I am a native of Southern California. I was born and raised in Los Angeles County, just about 20 minutes west of the garden. So I'm local to the area. And growing up, I actually didn't know that the garden existed <laughs> at all. Um, wasn't uh, a resource or a place that I knew about where I could learn about native plants. And I would say um, in my childhood growing up, I didn't really have an understanding or a connection to the native plants of California. I would be what you would call a pretty typical um, urban suburban kid who grew up amongst lawns and concrete channels in Southern California and didn't really have a sense of the natural world. Um, my family, I love my family to death, but we um, 
didn't have a lot of opportunities to explore nature as a kid. My dad's a truck driver, and he says uh, he he kind of worships pavement, and he's not the biggest <laughs> nature lover. And so we took some vacations to national parks, and and I you know explored nature to some degree, um, but I didn't really um, have a deep connection or understanding about. The plant, the local plants in my environment. Um, I did start a garden um, when I was a teenager, probably around age 15. My parents allowed me to dig up a patch of our very nicely manicured St. Augustine lawn. <laughs> and, and that was really one of my first introduction to plants. And, you know, I purchased my plants at the local big box, you know, store where none of them were native. And I didn't really even understand that there were plants that are indigenous to a place that don't require supplemental irrigation. It's amazing for me to think that how that concept can be so divorced from you when you don't observe that on a daily basis or no one's ever told you. And all you see is lawn that's being watered and or plants in containers that need constant watering. And just knowing that Southern California is a very hot and dry location and um, it was just something that was hard for me to imagine. But I was the first person in my family to go to college and I went to a local school. I was a pretty typical commuter student to the local Cal State University, Cal Poly Pomona. And um, I didn't start off as a biology major. I thought I was going to be a social worker. Um, so I was studying behavioral science. And then I took a psychology class that focused more on the, the biological aspect of the brain. And that's when I knew I always liked biology. And that's when I thought, mm -hmm. you know, I really need to become a biology major because I feel like that is where my passion is. And I don't know what I'm going to do, <laughs> um, but I'll figure it out. And so I switched my major to biology and I was really interested in marine biology and phytoplankton. And I was looking for volunteer opportunities anywhere around California where I could just Southern California is somewhere near my neighborhood where I can just get some kind of experience that would open some doors or give me more information about what I could do as a career. And I just stumbled upon this botanic garden that was 15 minutes away from school at Rancho Santa Ana Botanic Garden. And um, they had an email address on the website. And um, it was just a, you know, Google was fairly new then. This was in early 2000s. And I sent an email and it took them a little while to get back to me, but eventually they got back to me and I started at the garden as an undergraduate um, volunteering in our herbarium. And that was really, you know, obviously the garden has fundamentally changed my life because now I have a PhD in botany and I'm directing right. the conservation program, <laughs> which, you know, I, I was always interested in nature and conservation. And then I found this institution that linked those things and they introduced me to the plant world. And I felt like my whole, <laughs> my whole world had been opened up and exposed me to this whole side of California. I had no sense about being someone born and raised in California and not knowing that we have more kinds of plants than any other state in the United States, that it's incredibly rich and diverse and important for plant diversity. The more I continue to learn about plants, the more I recognize how deprived I was of understanding my place in the world and where I existed. Um, 
And so um, it's really important for me now in my professional career. I, I do a lot of work training interns and giving talks at my um, high school since I am still local and I can go back there. Um, and I try to let the students know my path and how I came yeah. to be a botanist and that hopefully they'll reach out to me. You know, so I was a very shy and intimidated student. Um, and I'm kind of surprised at myself just knowing who I was that I took a chance and just like cold emailed an institution to ask about volunteer yeah. uh, opportunities, yeah. um, especially being a first generation college student and not really having a lot of direction. Um, I'm really grateful to um, my mentor, Steve Boyd. He was the curator of the herbarium and he uh, gave me a lot of confidence um, by just giving me opportunities and encouraging me, encouraging me to continue. And that I think was incredibly important to my growth as a botanist. Um, if someone had said, oh, we don't have volunteer opportunities or you don't have any experience, I just would have been discouraged and I wouldn't have known which way to go. Uh, but I had people who um, saw that I had enthusiasm and energy. I had no experience, but the will to learn. And they took that and gave me um, opportunities all along the way. And with that, I took every single opportunity that came my way and I was able to grow. And so that's been very important to me. That is such a great story, Naomi. Like my, my skin kind of you know, tingles with this, like, wow, that was the universe and you like coming together to, to put you on the path that you're on. And it's, it's fantastic. So you go on, you finish your undergraduate work, you're, you're involved with Rancho Santa Ana, now Cal BG, that whole time you go on to get your PhD in uh, botany I know you have a particular love, maybe, in your, your studies. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, um, I actually I got a master's degree and a PhD, and both of the kinds of research I did within those degree programs really link with my current and ongoing love of California native plants and the kind of research that I'm generally interested in. Uh, so for my dissertation work, I studied monkey flowers, um, in the formerly in the genus Mimulus, and then there have been some taxonomic changes that actually occurred during my dissertation, which I was involved in, which is that's a whole other story. Uh, yeah, but I also did for my master's degree, I did floristic research, which is basically plant geography, and that is to document all of the plants that occur in a particular region, and that really extends to. Um, a lot of my current work, which is basically to understand the diversity of plants that occur in California. Where do they grow? What is their natural history? Um, what are the, and I do a lot of work in plant conservation where I'm trying to understand why plants are rare, what are the threats. Rancho Santa Ana, now California Botanic Garden, is both a display garden that people can visit and walk around. And it is also a research and conservation um, organization throughout our state. And I'm guessing that this is throughout the floristic province as a whole or just the political boundaries of the state, Naomi? 
It is through the Floristic Province as a whole. So we have representation in our living collections um, from uh, Northern Baja, California, um, and throughout the state of California. So it's the California Floristic Province, which includes uh, Northern Baja, California, but then also the whole state of California, which includes areas outside the Floristic Province, namely our desert. So the Mojave Desert, the Sonoran Desert, and the Great Basin Desert. So we encompass both of those things. It's very California, state of California, and California Floristic Province. Right. And remind listeners why it is of interest to the whole world that we study and understand the California Floristic Province? Sure. Well, the California Floristic Province is considered a biodiversity hotspot. And so it's um, one of the many Mediterranean regions of the world where there's high levels of diversity, but also high levels of endemism. So that's to say that there is about one third of the plants that occur in California are restricted to the, either the Floristic Province or the state of California. And so because we have plants that are restricted within our boundaries, a high percentage, relatively high percentage at around 30%, we are the stewards of those plants. Those plants are sort of our responsibility to carry on, to ensure that that legacy of diversity carries on for future generations. And a lot of that has to do with the climate. Um, we have such varied climate where we, along the coast, you have the fog belt and you maybe have more precipitation as you get, you know, we have the Sierra Nevada, which are this amazing mountain range and we have alpine zones and heavy snow. Um, and then you get on the other side of the mountains and you have this rain shadow that creates this vast desert. And you have all these geologic diversity across all these mountain ranges and just the topographic complexity with, um, you know, very high elevations and low valleys. You know, we have Mount Whitney and Death Valley, um, all kind of <laughs> not very far from one another. Uh, and so all of those things combined, you know, topography, geology, diversity and climate, and sort of a, a also having a relatively large area in that our state is so large, uh, means that we have just an incredible wealth of plant diversity that occurs here. California is really like a living laboratory and people from all over the world come to study our plants because it's so complex and interesting and many studies taking place looking at how climate change might shift plant distributions are plants moving up the mountain down the mountain you know what what is happening in our world in California and that can certainly be applied or we could think about what's happening in our state to to think about our changing planet and how plants might respond to different climactic shifts. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. I'm speaking today with Dr. Naomi Frega, Director of Conservation Programs at California Botanic Garden. Until March of 2020, the garden was known as the Rancho Santa Ana Botanic Garden. We'll be right back for more. Stay with us. Naomi Frega describes California as a living laboratory, a microsm from which to learn about our larger world and patterns of change. The garden is devoted to the collection, cultivation, study, and display of native California plants and to graduate training and research in plant systematics and evolution. 
California, with over 6,000 taxa of native plants, has the richest flora of any state in the continental United States. And their conservation priorities at CalBG are achieved by growing plants in the living collection and maintaining an extensive seed bank with long-term storage and facilities for research. This encapsulates their multi-prong approach to this work. Interestingly, California also has the most diverse human population in the U.S. according to a 2020 study ranking diversity along a wide variety of metrics, including socioeconomic, household, and cultural diversity. There are so many rich plant life opportunities in that exact intersection of spectacular biodiversity of people and biodiversity of plants. I love how one example of this is illustrated in a variety of ways in Naomi's own story. My takeaway? It's never too late to channel your inner plants person or to nurture this in another. It's never too late to love and know plants. Cultivating Place is likewise a living laboratory gathering and nurturing a great diversity of plant and garden life stories from around the world. Really thank you for those of you who have stepped up to support this work and sustain it into its next five years. I truly could not gather and grow these stories and amplify them out into the world without your generous contributions. I know if you're living in the U.S., you've been bombarded with requests for money recently. So let me just say thank you again to all of you who have supported. We are just eight donors shy of our challenge for 100 new donors in the second half of 2020. And I am so grateful for your votes of confidence and belief in the importance of this garden work. If you'd like to take part and be a supporter, follow the support button at the top of any page at cultivatingplace.com. And hey, keep growing, my friends. Keep growing. The opportunities and possibilities as a result are real and they are hopeful. Together, we grow a better world. We're back now to our conversation with Naomi Frega, Director of Conservation Programs at the California Botanic Garden in Claremont, California. Since Almost its founding in 1927, the garden has included seed collecting and seed banking as part of its work. As we come back, Dr. Frega explains the different branches of work in the conservation programs she directs. Welcome back. In field studies, it's basically field research on the ground to understand the plants of California. So we're out there gathering data, collecting specimens, And sometimes we even find and describe new species to our state. Um, We're oftentimes finding new rare plant populations, and we're documenting those and making that information widely available to land managers um, and state different kinds of agencies. In our laboratory program, we have a molecular lab, and we also have an anatomy lab. And so we have some very state-of-the-art equipment to address plant conservation in in very more high-tech ways than sort of just boots on the ground, observing and recording and understanding. And so we can look at genes and we can look at 
morphology at the microscopic level. We have a scanning, scanning electron microscope. We can also um, section plants and look at their individual cells and we can also look at their chromosomes. And so gathering this data might provide us with more information um, about the plant's biology that might inform their conservation. So it's really great to have these research tools uh, to allow us to address plant conservation in a variety of ways. And then we have the plant nursery, um, which is really an incredible tool for plant conservation because when we take plants out of the wild environment, maybe we collect seeds or cuttings and we're growing them in cultivation, there's so much that we can learn um, in terms of gathering data on horticultural requirements of plants that might um, shed light on how plants exist in nature. You know, what are their growing requirements? What do they require for germination? So we're oftentimes doing experiments to see how we can germinate their seeds, whether they require smoke, um, fire, acid treatment, you know, all these uh, different mechanisms that plants need to allow them to grow. Um, maybe there is a question about uh, plant reproduction and we want to know if a plant can produce seeds by self-pollinating. We can grow those plants in the nursery and do simple experiments to do either cross-pollinations or bag flowers to prevent pollination to see if they produce fruit. So we can do those kinds of studies. We can also do common garden studies in our nursery where we might compare plants from two different locations and grow them under the same growing conditions to see if differences we see in nature are a result of genetics or environment. Um, and then we might also just need to grow plants for various restoration efforts. And so we have a, a lot of degraded lands and, um, you know, seeding um, those degraded lands, um, you know, that's very difficult to get restoration going just from seeds because the invasive species oftentimes outcompete the native seeds. And so establishing with container plants right now um, seems to be the most successful. So we're oftentimes propagating plants in containers to be put out onto degraded wildlands to help with their restoration. So when you're talking about the restoration of degraded lands, is that work that is initiated by CalBG or are you working in partnership with like Caltrans or CNPS or, or maybe it's a combination of both? Uh, it's oftentimes a combination of both. Um, there are some projects where we're interested in learning more about best practices and restorations. We might apply for a grant to do a specific kind of restoration experiment, but then oftentimes we're growing plants under contract for different organizations. So it might be something like Caltrans or a, a different um, conservation organization or an agency like the Forest Service that has a restoration project and they need a, a nursery to grow plants for their project. And so um, we actually have a very um, successful program in partnering with other organizations to provide them plants for the restoration projects. And then the nursery is also retail for people that come to the garden. Is that correct? Yeah. So our, our nursery serves several purposes. So we do um, these contract grows for restoration and or for our own um, restoration projects. But then we have another arm of the nursery that propagates plants for our garden and our living collection um, and for research. But then that arm of the garden also propagates plants for our retail nursery. Um, and so, yeah, we're growing for very diverse purposes and we kind of um, have the space somewhat partitioned 
um, you know, within the actual nursery space, we have the restoration nursery and kind of the other nursery activities are led by other staff members, but obviously there's collaboration um, within the space. Yeah. And so then tell us just a little bit about the seed program. How long has the seed conservation and seed bank work been going on and what are its current holdings right now? Well, certainly the seed program um, is in some ways um, one of the newer programs at Cal Beachy. And I think because in the 1920s, people didn't know a lot about native plants and seed conservation. Um, and really seed conservation of native plants started taking off in probably the late 70s or 80s. And we used to store our seeds, you know, in jars in just a cold room or sort of ambient temperature before um you know, before we established our seed bank and understood or had a better understanding of what good storage requirements are for long-term conservation of seeds. And it was really in the 90s where we uh, decided to establish a really proper seed bank with frozen storage um, and, um, you know, have a germination chamber where we can uh, test the viability of seeds and really set up more of a laboratory setting for our seed bank. And since that time, our seed bank has really grown uh, to be the largest and most diverse seed bank for California native plants. And we have over 6,000 different seed collections that represent over 2,000 different kinds of California native plants. So that's just alone a tremendous resource. So there's 6,500 native plants in the state. And so obviously the seed bank is not complete. And in fact, not all the plants of California can be stored in our seed bank because um, some plants like oaks, um, if we collected the seeds and dried them down and tried to store them, using those sorts of methods that we typically use, those seeds would die instantly. And and so we can only really store the plants um, of California that have the capability of having the moisture content dried down and to prepare them for storage and then to put them in, in a freezer. And so how do you handle that? Do you, uh, the the seeds that are not eligible for long-term storage, do you try and maintain them in living collections or do you just acknowledge that these are plants that will not be in your collection? Yeah, we are working to store some of these in our living collections. So I use the example of oaks. We have some uh, diverse conservation groves at the garden where we're actually collecting acorns from several uh, different mother plants and, and tracking those so that when we grow them in the garden, we have plants genetically diverse plantings. So it's not just, you know, sort of randomly collecting acorns and growing up a few oaks and planting them out. It's actually a very managed collection where we're Mm. trying to represent genetic diversity in the collection. So it might represent 30 different individuals in the planting. And and so that's something we're actively working on with oaks. And we're actually doing a similar project this year on California walnut. Um, So walnut is another species where the seeds can't be stored um, other plants um, might lend themselves well to what's called cryopreservation, where mm-hmm. you, they, you can kind of dissect out the embryo and store them in liquid nitrogen. We don't have those kind of facilities at the garden, but we're working to partner with other organizations where we can make those collections and have them stored. Um, for instance, San Diego Zoo Global is looking to develop um, cryopreservation storage. Wow. 
Wow. So when you say that you're the largest California Native Seed Bank, what would the other ones be? And do you work in collaboration as a network? Yeah, we actually do work in collaboration as a network. So other botanic gardens like uh, Santa Barbara Botanic Garden, uh, San Diego Zoo Global, um, UC Berkeley, um, their botanic garden, uh, UC Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. There's um, several organizations that also maintain seeds of California Native plants. And we have Mm -hmm. formalized in a partnership Um, And we have a name, we're called the California Plant Rescue, and we have a a mission, a unifying mission to conserve the plants of California through seed banking. Um, And so we're we're working in a very coordinated fashion, and we actually have the goal to, initial goal to seed bank all the rare plants of California. And we hope to do that actually within the next five years. Um, So it's very ambitious. Uh, and we're working with the California Native Plant Society on that as well. We actually have a, a number of partners, and we meet on a regular basis. We have databases to help track our work to make sure that we're working in a very coordinated fashion and we're not duplicating effort, and we can kind of divide and conquer, you know, divide up the work and kind of get out into right. the landscape and make sure that we have the rarest plants of California secured and saved um, in seed banks. And so all those seeds won't come wow. to the California Seed Bank. They'll be distributed. So we have, kind of have this distributed network of seed banks. Um, and then we also send our seeds um, as um, we save a portion of each seed collection to a facility in Fort Collins as a backup. Mm-hmm. So that would be the, the National Germplasm Research Center there? Yes, that's correct. Wow, that is admirable. And when you say all of the rare plants of California, what what numbers are we at in rare plants right now, Naomi? Well, there's about 2,300 rare plants in California, um, mm-hmm. but we're actually focusing on the rarest category. So we're using the California Native Plant Society maintains an inventory of rare, threatened, and endangered plants. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they have a, a system of ranking, and one of the rarest rank is called 1B. And the 1B plants are those that are restricted. They're mostly restricted to the state of California, and they are uh, just have that highest level of rarity. And so that is more like 1,800. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. I'm speaking today with Dr. Naomi Frega. Director of Conservation Programs at the California Botanic Garden. Founded in 1927 in Orange County along the banks of the Santa Ana River, for most of its history, the garden was known as the Rancho Santa Ana Botanic Garden. The facilities moved to Los Angeles in the 1950s and in March of 2020 was renamed California Botanic Garden to more clearly align with its mission. We'll be right back to hear more about Naomi and the garden's expansive scope of work. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week. Politics has been high on our collective radar these past months, which is an understatement. And it is whether we wanted it to be or not. And while some might say gardening should be above politics... It's not, and it's certainly not above or outside of legislation. Which brings me to the botany bill that Naomi refers to in our conversation. Did you know there was a botany bill? 
I didn't until just a little before I spoke with Naomi a few months back now. Here's the basic information in case you'd like to learn more or get involved once we settle into a new cycle in 2021. The botany bills are the botanical sciences and native plant materials research, restoration, and promotion acts, including the bipartisan H.R. 1572, reintroduced into the U.S. House of Representatives, and S. 2384, reintroduced into the U.S. Senate, both in 2019. The Botany Bill promotes botanical research and science's capacity, generates demand for native plant materials, and authorizes related federal activities. Initially, a collaborative effort of Plant Conservation Alliance, Non-Federal Cooperators Committee, the Chicago Botanic Garden, and the Garden Club of America, this bipartisan legislation allows federal agencies to act with the expertise required to preserve unique American landscapes and emphasizes the importance of protecting native plants and ecosystems. The acts have goals to employ and train botanists in the federal government, to fund research, and to promote the use of native plants. As long as all stakeholders are authentically at this decision-making table, this seems like great New Year's resolutions to me. I will keep you posted as and when I learn more. But just the fact that any public policy includes the word botany and has a focus on native plants and ecosystems protections seems like growth toward the light to me. Here's hoping. We're back now to our conversation with Naomi Frega, Director of Conservation Programs at the California Botanic Garden. The seed bank at the garden comprises over 5,000 accessions, representing more than 2,000 California native plant species and cultivars. The geographic scope of the CalBG collection encompasses the entire state of California, as well as the Mexican portion of the California floristic province. As we come back, Naomi shares more about how and why plants are determined to be rare and how their seeds are tagged for collection, starting with her research focus on a rare monkey flower. I've done a lot of seed banking work on monkey flowers since that also happens to be a research interest of mine. And many monkey flowers are rare in California. And seed banking monkey flowers presents its own special challenge because their seeds are very tiny. They look like tiny specks of dust and you have to get the timing just right. So um, especially um, in the group of monkey flowers I work with, the, the fruits open up and the seeds just readily disperse as soon as they're ripe. And so you have to get the timing just right or else the wind will just blow the mm. seeds away and, you know, like dust yeah. in the wind. Um, so we're, we do uh, a lot of field trips, um, multiple. It's not just a single field trip to collect seeds because we have to go at the time when they're flowering to make sure we have identification correct and we can properly document the population and assess the numbers and what percentage of the population is safe to collect, um, you know, so we don't impact the population at all. We have a a lot of rules and guidelines uh, to help us with our work. 
And then we might go a second time and, and assess the ripeness and maybe we can make a partial seed collection, but maybe not all the fruits are ready. So we might have to go back out a third time. Um, and then um, we collect each individual sort of separately to keep those all separate. But um, the monkey flowers, when I collect those seeds, um, we usually put um, the fruit into a coin envelope or some sort of paper sack. And the, these are oftentimes annuals and very, very small plants. And so I'll use the Kelso Creek monkey flower as an example. It's a very small plant, about two inches tall, and maybe three inches tall at most. And I will collect uh, either a whole individual plant, because they're so tiny, or the fruit. And I'll need to tape the edges of the envelope uh, so the seeds don't fall out of the just the little tiny creases wow. in the envelope because they're that small. <laughs> the seeds are so small that when we clean the seeds, we also have to clean them carefully by hand because we have a, a seed aspirator unit, a, a seed blower that um, separates the seeds from the chaff using an air column. And we can't actually clean monkey flower seeds that way because um, there's like a mesh bottom and the seeds just fall through the mesh bottom. So it's it's very detailed work. Wow. So how do you clean them? By hand. We just, with uh, tweezers, um, just separating the seeds from the chaff and or using kind of their weight because mm -hmm. they'll be heavier than um, the material from the drying plant. Okay. And so you might put them on a paper plate and just kind of like give them a little shake okay. and have them shift to one side of the paper plate. It's very, wow. very technical work working with paper plates and tweezers. <laughs> <laughs> when you first saw or met the Kelso Creek monkey flower, and did you know it was rare when you first met? I did. I did a research project on the Kelso Creek monkey flower when I was a master's student. And I was um, working on it for a class project where we were writing conservation plans for rare plants. And it was my chosen plant. I did research online and I decided to pick this plant. And so I went to take a field trip to see it up close and in person. So I knew it was rare. I knew what it looked like and that it was quite special. But when I saw it for the first time, even seeing photos of it didn't prepare me for how amazing this plant is and how cute and just it just has this striking flower that's half maroon and half yellow and it has a really interesting shape and it was having a really good bloom year it was actually in 2005 I believe uh, that and it which was um a uh, an El Nino year. And so it was just blanketing the the location where I went to find it. And I just stepped out of my car. I literally opened my car door, stepped down, down and saw a carpet of this very rare monkey wow. flower. <laughs> wow. That is so great. And is this one of the ones that has remained a mimulus or is it one of the ones that's moved to Diplocus? It's actually moved to a different genus called Erythranthi. So it's Erythranthi shabakii is its new name. Wow. And it is it is an endemic and it is rare because it only presents itself in one place or because its habitat is under pressure? Like describe why this one has rare status. It's actually rare for a combination of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, for one, it's restricted to the Southern Sierra in Kern County. Um, so it has a very small geographic range. It occurs around Kernville um, area. And on top of that, there's been uh, some development in the area that have caused some populations to go extinct. So, mm. for instance, the creation of Lake Isabella 
actually caused um, at least one population we know about to no longer occur. And there's also been other agriculture, um, just agriculture that's developed in the region, different orchards and um, a variety of land use. And there's also been um, some rural housing development in the region where um, actual properties have been developed on top of populations. Um, and, and some of the populations occur on private property that's actively for sale. So populations are still threatened with development. And is this a an insect pollinated or a wind pollinated plant? It's an insect pollinated plant. And I, although I've never seen an insect actually pollinating it, um, we can infer that because the the flower is relatively large compared to the body of the plant. Uh, so it's mm. pretty much all flower and uh, the leaves are basically microscopic. And yeah. it has that very showy flower where it's got just amazing color. And so yeah. it puts tons of energy into producing this really amazingly beautiful flower. You have to think that it's trying to attract some insect. And so the first time you successfully collected seed was it that same year? I collected seed the next year. So I, I spent a year getting familiar with the populations and mapping them and understanding where they occur. And sometimes our seed bank work actually requires that a, a year of some general research and understanding to know where the populations are and then what the best population might be for seed banking if we're only able to seed bank one population because it's a lot of work. Uh, to see bank each one, so we might not be able to do them all. I did a year of surveys uh, to map the populations, and then the next year I targeted a specific population that was under threat from development to make sure that I had seed collections of those in case they might not um, exist in the future. To pull this back full circle, using Kelso Creek monkey flower in the context of all of the conservation work you're doing. You identify this plant, you fall in love with this plant, you study it and you collect seed, you maybe collect one or two individuals. The lab studies work could identify whether or not each different separate population that you have identified of this plant might be just slightly genetically different. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, so we could use the the genetic tools to understand how much genetic diversity mm -hmm. exists within and between populations. Okay. So are the populations very different or similar? Is there maybe gene flow happening between the populations? And um, maybe threats have impacted the ability for plants to pollinate between mm -hmm. populations, and then maybe there's now reduced genetic diversity as a result. So the genetic tools would allow us to kind of address those questions. And then the collection of the seed would allow you to potentially go to the restoration nursery and work on um, producing more seed uh, from plants and or plants for sale so that they can get planted out in the garden or in restoration projects or in the uh, home gardening kind of population, as well as provide seed to the conservation seed bank. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We can um, take those seeds and grow them for all those reasons you laid out, but then also we might just grow them for research yeah. to do different experiments and to further understand the plant. 
Wow. And is the Kelso Creek monkey flower in, uh, in production there uh, for the, the garden or for sale at the nursery or as seed or no? I wish it was. <laughs> it's an, well, for one, it's an annual plant. So right. um, it just, you know, it doesn't last for very long. But I have tried um, on numerous occasions to get good germination from these seeds. And given that this is an annual that lives in the desert, we actually have very low germination rates because mm. the seeds have a, a dormancy mechanism that allows them to, the plants, the populations to develop long-lived seed banks. Right. Um, so, so it can be years between rains and the rain mm -hmm. will come and then they, they bloom like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's an, a really good adaptive strategy for the plant to allow their seeds to sleep essentially right. for decades, potentially. Um, and, and, but so we've, you know, say I collected the seeds last year, just a very small percentage of them we might get to germinate or we, or we maybe haven't figured out what triggers germination and what treatment to provide to the plants. God. What we don't know is always so unbelievable to, to become more aware of, isn't it? God. Yeah. You know, when you think about the seed work that you're doing and the conservation work as an entire program of interrelated um, kind of symbiotic branches to, to what you're doing, you know, is there, is there legislation at play right now um, on seed conservation or seed um, supply or anything that you are tracking as a conservation organization that, that you would like listeners to be aware of or in support of or not in support of? Yeah, there actually is. At the federal level, there is a bill that was introduced into the House um, and into the Senate called the, we call it the Botany Bill. That would provide funding to federal agencies to carry out a lot of important seed work. Mm. Uh, and so in addition to seed banking rare plants, we're also seed banking common plants to make those materials available for restoration projects so that we can put the right seed in the right place at the right time. Um, that's the sort of a slogan for what's called the Seeds of Success program, which is a federal program to make sure that we have native seed supplies ready for restoration. And so we've been an active partner in that Seeds of Success program at, um, as part at California Botanic Garden. And it would just be really great for the federal government to support native seeds going out into the landscape because there's still, unfortunately, a lot of non-native seeds mm. that are used in restoration projects across the nation. Mm. And so we really need to get the supply up and available so that we can use appropriate seed um, for these projects. It has been introduced into both in the Senate and the House. And um, I think that there is a website that you can go to if you just Google Botany Bill to learn more information. And you can also check to see if your senator or House member is supporting the Botany Bill. And if they're not, you can always write to them and ask them if they would sponsor the Botany Bill. And you, as both a woman and a scientist and an organization the California Botanic Garden are in support of the Botany Bill. I am. I'm definitely supportive of the Botany Bill. Okay. And I'm very supportive of efforts that government can take, whether it's um, at the state level or more local municipal levels or at the federal level. There's a lot that um, government can do to ensure that we have strong policies policies in place to conserve 
um, our great flora. When you personally, especially given your history, when you think about the greatest joys in this work, what are those, Naomi? Well, for one, I just love being outside with plants, being spending time with plants and building that connection with plants still gives me so much joy. The more I interact with plants, it just feel like they become part of your family and Mm -hmm. they're very much integrated into my life. And to have, uh, to build that connection with them, it's just, it's a continuous process. It's not like the light switch turned on. I saw, you know, the green blur went away and I saw all the plants and then all of a sudden I was a botanist. It's, it's a continuing journey in building that connection, that relationship. And every year I learn so much more, um, but I can look back to my former self and recognize that connection I was building then and how gratifying that was. But then I can also kind of look at myself now and see how far I'm still, I've come and and my journey is still continuing. And so to me, that relationship continually builds the more time I'm able to spend on the landscape with the plants. And then I also have a garden now. And so that's great because that means Mm. I get to watch plants all the time. (laughs) Just walk out into my garden. But the other thing that really gives me joy is actually paying forward the mentorship that I received when I was an undergraduate. So every year Mm -hmm. we have interns that come and work with us during the summer. And I really seek out individuals who have just a great desire to learn, uh, but also botany might be new to them. And they may not have a a strong understanding of kind of what they want to do with it, where they want to go, or even if they want to be botanists. And so I'm looking for um, students that you know, they, they don't haven't had 10 internships <laughs> and kind of they're not, you know, well sort of had their their path sort of cleared for them on their career trajectory. I'm really looking for students that are trying to find their way and they they might need a little boost, um, but they definitely have the drive and energy and and the capability of doing great things. And so I really love working with those interns because Sometimes we're taking them to wild places and it's their first time, um, you know, to Death Valley National Park or to the San Bernardino National Forest. And last year in particular, I had a great set of interns and I was, you know, I took them out on this four wheel drive road and they just were having a ball and they're like, we're on a plane safari. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, yes, are. we are. And they were just looking out the window and soaking it in. And I, it just, ah, oh, it it was the best. I had the best summer. I mean, it was a lot of hard work and took a lot of uh, emotional energy and just general organization. You know, it's just I really worked very hard all summer for them. Uh, but at the end of it, I just felt like it was one of the best things I could do. They're like the seeds of plants, people, Naomi. They are. <laughs> they they are. are. And we need them. We need to germinate all of those that we can. The internship program there, when do when are you accepting applications? And for listeners who might be interested in this, where should they go to find out more information on internships, Naomi? 
Sure. We normally accept applications in April. This year is a little bit different. We're actually not going to, I'm very disappointed, but we're not going to be able to have the internship program this year due to the pandemic, just because the internship program is a very social program. Um, we take field trips together, we travel together, and I haven't found a way that I could see having a, a meaningful internship under the social distancing requirements we currently have but we will have internships in the future. So I would encourage um, interested individuals to check our website. I try to post it broadly, but also I very much encourage if someone's interested in getting involved at California Botanic Garden, please reach out to me individually. I, uh, you know, I return emails. <laughs> I do my best to get back to every student who is interested and I definitely would encourage um, students to just make direct contact. One, it shows initiative and it allows me to kind of um, gauge the student's interest and, and point them in the right direction. Is there anything you would like to add? I think that this time in self-isolation has really clarified just, I, I've always known how important my connection to nature is since I was able to discover it, but how... Um, difficult it is to not be able to visit all of my field locations like I normally do because it, you know, um, I'm just very um, cautious about travel and making sure that I'm not doing anything to, you know, cause harm to rural communities where I often visit. Um, so definitely um, haven't been able to be out in nature to the full extent that I normally do, but that's just um, further um, solidified my understanding of how important plants and nature are to our general well-being. Um, and um, that, and just, you know, I, in Los Angeles County, which is the most populous county in the country, and, um, you know, we have, um, in the greater Los Angeles area, we have something like 18 million people. I think it's like 10 million people in the county. And, uh, you know, we have um, relatively nearby some, you know, open space and areas to explore nature. But there was a time where those trails were closed off and it was very difficult mentally to kind of, you know, be in this sort of urban jungle without the ability to explore natural spaces. Um, and so that's just been, yeah, hard. Hard. And very illuminating in terms of what's important to us and, and what we really, really want and need in our lives, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I so appreciate you talking with me today and being a guest on the program. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. Oh, thank you for having me. It was really great to talk with you. With both a master's and a PhD in botany, Dr. Naomi Frega serves as the Director of Conservation Programs at the California Botanic Garden, which since 1927 has been dedicated to education about and conservation of the plants of the California Floristic Province. Until just recently known as the Rancho Santa Ana Botanic Garden, the Cal BG's conservation programs include field studies, laboratory studies, a restoration nursery, and seed banking and conservation. 
Join us again next week when we continue this seed series with Cheryl Berker, Seed Conservation Program Manager, also at the California Botanic Garden, and with whom we go even deeper into what it means to seed bank a biodiversity hotspot in our world. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and listener-supported through CultivatingPlace.com. For many photos of the amazingly beautiful and storied seeds in the California floristic province and Naomi Frega's plant journey, head over to CultivatingPlace.com. If our world needs a sea change on a variety of levels— Let a seed change be among them. Seeds are powerful forces for change. Plant good ones. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. 